it just there there's no reason why it should change after what 54 55 years it's what was decided on to begin with and it's what should be left alone welcome back i'm glad you're here that was peg farmer a member of one of the first graduating classes of south newton for this episode we're going to take a step back in time to get a little perspective on what life was like in Newton County when my high school decided to become the Rebels. Then, we'll fast forward a bit to take a look at what's happening with the mascot today. Let's dive in! It was a different time than what anything is like now or even when my kids were in high school just different in that uh, the majority of us had grown up in the small communities, gone to small schools. Um, and then all at once, our freshman year, we're all thrown into a great big, huge school together. My name is Peg Farmer. I graduated from South Newton in 1970. Peg's class is celebrating their 50th reunion this year. Unfortunately, the COVID pandemic put a wrench in their plans to gather, and they've had to postpone until later. What makes Peg's class notable is that they are actually the first group of students to experience their freshman through senior years at South Newton. Prior to 1966, the towns of Brook, Kentland, and Goodland operated their own high schools. By 1960, it had become apparent that consolidating these schools into one centralized high school made the most financial sense. And so plans got rolling to make this happen. I asked Peg to share what she remembered about those early days of the school. Now, if you didn't happen to grow up in a small, rural community, it's probably worth sharing what Peg had to say about her grade school experience. She went to a small school in a town that now barely exists called Aid, just off of Highway 41. Here she is describing her experience. I went to eight grades in school at Aid, which is nowhere near existence anymore. But um, you know, we had first and second grade in one class, second and third in another, and so on and so forth. So we never got up and left class to go from one class to another. We stayed in the same room for all of our classes. Um, you know, whether we were in seventh grade or eighth grade, we still were all in the same room and went through the same class times. So uh, that's interesting that there were two grades in each room too. Roughly how many people were in your classroom? I'm going to say maybe I'm going to say maybe 30 at max. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot. Um, my, my class was only about 15. So I would say, yeah, probably no more than 30 per, per room. So then when you went to South Newton when, in ninth grade, what was sort of the biggest shock or, you know, what was the biggest adjustment for you? Going from class to class and having so many people around. Um, as I said, coming from a small school that you never left a room uh, to going to uh, having a school that had hundreds and hundreds of people there and trying to find your classrooms and meet the new people that were there and 
things like that. On September 6, 1966, classes commenced at the new school building, which was located roughly equidistant between the three rural towns of Brook, Goodland, and Kentland. The first few pages of the school's yearbook for that year show pictures illustrating much of what Peg describes. Finding lockers, looking unsure, walking through an unfinished gym. But quickly, the pictures get much more lively and spirited until finally you reach February 23rd, in which quite a number of people got stranded at the school building during a snowstorm the night of the sectional basketball tournament. Pictures show them playing cards, posing for pictures, sleeping on the floor. Overall, it seems they made the best of it. I was interested in getting to know a bit more about what life was like in my hometown during the mid-60s. So I spent some time at the Brook Public Library going through old issues of the Newton County Enterprise. Mostly what I found was evidence of an idyllic existence. Mothers bringing homemade cookies to community events, lists of students who had made the honor roll, church news and happenings, recaps of local sports games. One of the librarians jokingly said, yeah, the paper was kind of like the Facebook of the time. Some of the headlines I found were, guacamole is a delightful dip for parties. Increase the life of your mower. Spring care of roses. Why sheets turn yellow. Morocco pastor to speak at Christian church. Women's club has salad luncheon. And if you haven't already guessed, most of life in Newton County revolves around agriculture. That remains true today. Much of the space in the Newton County Enterprise in 1966 was devoted to agricultural issues, from articles about federal crop insurance to cattle shows and the spring planting season. It's apparent that the readers of the Enterprise would have been people who had a stake in some aspect of farm life. In short, life seemed good in those days. I think when people talk about wanting to go back to the good old days, this is what they mean. As a kid, I lived for hearing stories about pastimes, and I would spend hours and hours rooting through the old bedrooms in my grandparents' farmhouse looking for relics from the past. I grew up with this sense that something had been lost and that somehow the community had changed, and not for the better. Early issues of the regiment, the school's yearbook, are full of pictures that seem to exemplify this heyday of sorts. In fact, in those early days, South Newton was fairly well known for its plays and athletics. Total enrollment for the high school was over 700 then. That's more than twice the current enrollment numbers, which are closer to 300 these days. It's strange looking through the old yearbooks to see classes of well over 100 students. My graduating class of 2003 was a whopping 68. I don't have an answer for what has brought on these changes for you in this episode, but it is safe to say that the community has changed. This is something we'll return to in a future episode. It's also worth noting that virtually every face in the pages of those yearbooks is white, and this is a reality that is largely unchanged to this day. According to the census, 96.4% of Newton County's current population is white. Only 6.9% identify as Hispanic or Latino, and only 1% identify as Black or African American. So, 
It was in this climate, the good old days, that the mascot for South Newton was chosen by students. Another alum I talked to remembers voting for the mascot as a seventh grader. Peg remembers this too. There were, uh, I want to say there were at least four names given to us at the time that we were able to vote. The student councils from each of the area's schools proposed the following choices. Mascots were the Neutrons, the Celtics, or the Rebels. Colors were green and cream, burnt orange, brown, and green, or scarlet and platinum. Do you remember why you chose Rebels at the time? I think I liked it better than the other ones that were put out there. Just made more sense. take a quick detour here for a history tidbit. They had considered naming the school Orchard Lake. Orchard Lake was actually the name of the farm owned by former Indiana Governor Warren McRae, and this farm had been located adjacent to the land where the high school ended up being built. Warren McRae was in office from 1921 to 1924. Some facts about Governor McRae. He was a friend of the playwright George Ade. He owned a famous bull named Perfection Halifax, and he angered the Ku Klux Klan by vetoing legislation they favored. Let's dig into that last one a bit. So it may be a little-known fact that in the 1920s, the Ku Klux Klan included many prominent Indiana politicians and legislators, and nearly 30% of all the white men in the state. It was, in fact, one of the largest Klan organizations in the country. This can seem surprising because Indiana is in the North, not the South which is where I think folks typically expect to see this kind of organization thriving. It's no doubt, then, that Warren McRae's refusal to enact legislation favored by the Klan got him embroiled in an embezzlement scandal. He was found not guilty, but immediately after that, another case was brought against him for mail fraud. And for that, he did serve time in prison. Before he was pardoned by President Hoover, who had become aware of the Klan's role in his conviction. After all this, he returned to Orchard Lake, which was no doubt a quiet and peaceful place compared to what he'd been through. Okay, so that's the history tidbit, but I actually think we might return to this topic in a later episode. So I'm going to make a note, and now we'll get back to the mascot. I, of course, wanted to know how Peg felt about changing the mascot. Here's what she had to say. I really don't understand why this gentleman wants to change all this stuff all of a sudden. Leave it alone. It's, it's no different than any other school with any, any other name. There's ones that are 10 times worse than having a rebel flag or a Confederate flag or whatever. So leave it alone. It's, it's not, it's the history of the school. It's what's been there since the school started. So leave it alone. What would be a worse mascot? Oh, there's, what have you got? The Rensselaer Bombers, the Tri-County Cavaliers, or tri what are the Trojans, um, the Bisons, you know, I, Spartans, you know, all of those things are, they're, they're no different than being just a Confederate flag or, or a rebel. I, it should just be, it, basically, I, I want it left alone. There's no need to go through expenses, and I'm sure that it would be 
very expensive to have to go through and make all the changes. Is it just the expense of it that you, you know, cause I, I hear you saying no. you want it left alone. Is it just because of the expense of it? Is there more to it? No, it's not just the expense. It's that's what South and South Newton is. And it always has been, it should be left alone. Peg brings up an important point. Is this request for a change happening all of a sudden? Or is it something that's been brewing for some time? Uh, hi, my name is Jane Poland. I was a 1985 graduate of South Newton High School. For about probably eight or so years, there's been other petitions that have been brought up, but they've all been dismissed. Um, and they, they over the past few years, they'd already taken away part of the offensive part of the rebel because they took away the Confederate flag. Okay, so as it stands today, a number of changes have been made. Here's Morgan Winder, a 2015 grad, talking about some of the changes she experienced while she was a student. I dug out a t-shirt yesterday um, that was, I think, what I think is the first, um, the like the first time that the new mascot was used, which is the face with the big mustache and he's got a big hat and there's like a feather in his hat. Yeah. And so the first time that was used was in the fall of 2011 um, when we won sectionals and they, they made these t-shirts that said to all who doubted the rebels, we got our reb on. And that was like the, the new like slogan kind of for the school, get your reb on. She goes on to explain that by the time she graduated in 2015, the gym got a facelift, including being repainted to remove the original iteration of the Rebel. A new rebranded image of the Rebel was unveiled, including a new mascot costume, dubbed Sir Newton, a name chosen by the students. Additionally, around this same time period, depictions of the Confederate flag were removed from the gyms. Something that struck me, though, was that she said that all of these changes happened really quietly. No one really talked about it. It just seemed to happen in phases over time without any explanation of why. I'm not really sure when the official switch happened um, because it was really quiet. Nobody really talked about that this was happening. We got a new gym floor. Um, the gym floor currently, I think, has a... S in in the center and then it says rebels written on the court and then on the walls uh so the traveling basketball team came in 20 april of 2014 so at that time the gym walls had not been repainted let's switch gears for a second morgan mentions a traveling basketball team so here's a little more context for that they brought in a it was like a Harlem Globetrotters, like kind of like knockoff team um, called, called the Harlem Wizards. And they did a fundraiser for the reading program. And of course, all the men on this basketball team were black for the most part. Um, and this was before they repainted the gym and really rebranded um, the whole mascot into its current form. So this was still the old school soldier with the Confederate flag mascot. Um, they hung posters over the mascot painted up on the wall in the gym uh, because this all-black basketball team was going to play in that gymnasium. Now, whether this event was a catalyst for change, I don't know. 
Morgan didn't seem to know either. But if it wasn't, I have a feeling that at the very least, it probably served as confirmation that it really was time for the school to finally ditch the soldier wielding the stars and bars that had been painted on the gym wall for so long. Now, I feel like there were still Confederate flags on the campus. People flew them on their trucks or put stickers of them on their lockers or their book bags or their notebooks or whatever. So, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that people really understood the gravity of what they were advocating for. The connection between the oppression it represented had been lost over time and generations on our students. Obviously, it's not lost in the rest of the world. As I dig deeper into this project, it has become clearer to me that what is most compelling to me about the debate to change the mascot is not either one side or the other, but rather the space between the two sides. There seems to be a rather vast gulf between Peg's position on the mascot and Morgan's, and yet both seem to think their answer is obvious. So I realize it's the elusive space between these two sides that I'm trying to get a hold of, trying to capture and understand. What exactly is the nature of this space? How did it get there? And will it always be there? I think I'll stop there for now. One of the arguments against retiring the rebel is that the school has already done enough to change. What do you think? Are the changes they've made enough? Or do all references to the rebel need to go once and for all? I'd love to hear from you. And if you've got an interesting story or memory or a question about something I've talked about, please reach out. You can either send me a direct message through the Facebook page for this podcast, or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm slash the regiment. Thank you to Peg Farmer, Jane Poland, and Morgan Winder for taking time to talk with me for this episode. And a belated thanks to Brandon Story for talking with me for my previous episode. Tune in next time as I continue to explore the debate over whether to change South Newton's mascot. I'll see you then. <laughs>